Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. My name is Peter Thompson. You're listening to episode 32 and midweek series edition 15 of the podcast. We are in a bad mood. I'm here with Adi Burubasis, Lambro Sirmos, and an actual surprise special guest that materialized after our last episode was released, but we are joined today by Martial from Olympiakos France, who you can follow on Twitter at OlympiakosFR with a K. Martial, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm so-so, I would, I would like to say. <laughs> I had a bad night yesterday, but... Uh... <laughs> I think we all did. I think we all did. Um, I'm glad we had a day to cool down uh, to do this, not only because I would have had a sore throat from yelling at the TV yesterday and my voice would have sounded terrible on the podcast, but also just uh, because I was in a very emotional state, to say the least. Um, so we're recording this on Wednesday, December 2nd. We will have coverage of the Olympiacos Marseille game. We'll talk about the refs. We'll talk about the game away from the refs and We'll probably also have a bit of a discussion about the team after some things that we saw on social media. And then we will also preview the Europa League matches tomorrow for Ike and Pauk. Before we do that, we do have some announcements to make. We spent some time securing a few new special guests, so we've got a full slate of housekeeping once again. This weekend, listeners will remember that we will be joined by Luis Silva, a correspondent for B24 in Portugal, to discuss pre-match for the game. That episode will air on Monday, December 7th. He featured along with Adi and Muhammad Ali on David Mooney's Blue Moon podcast. After that, our very, very good friend Stephen Kudru from Elas Football will be joining us for the episode that will air on Monday, December 14th. That will be a post-match analysis of the game against Lamia in the Greek Super League, and we will also discuss Olympiakos' European campaign or at least the group stage portion, which will have finished by then. After that, we will have an episode that will air on Wednesday, December 16th, featuring Greg Gavalas, who is another Hellas football contributor and a supporter of Ike. We've got the big derby between Olympiakos and Ike coming up that week, and we will have pre-match analysis for that game. That episode will be out before the game, we should have enough time to listen to that episode and then get the game right on. So that'll be a good way for folks to spend their Wednesday. We do have the episode coming out on Monday, December 21st, featuring Michael Vicini. Unfortunately, copyright regulations will forbid us from playing any music. So while we appreciate the responses to the poll, we will probably have to do that one silent, unless maybe... We can get Vimo in here with his buzuki and just play it in the background. I'm not really sure if that's allowed. But in other words, Dambro, you get off this time, let off the cuff. You don't have to listen to Adi's music choices. You don't have to have Adi saved. on Ox. I've been saved. God so, bless copyright. I, I, I love it. the law. I love <laughs> international it. law. I love the copyright. <laughs> so <laughs> you you win this time. But obviously, it's a small victory given the way the game ended yesterday. A couple more guests, folks. We've got a full slate for Wednesday, December 23rd. We will be joined by LS football correspondent Apostolos Karadonis. He is an expert on Greek youth players, and he has written some really nice stuff for them about the youth of Greece. We'll be talking to him about the state of Greece's youth development, as well as some key players to keep an eye out for in the Super League. 
We have a special episode coming for you that will be out on Monday, December 28th, featuring one of our contributors and friends, George Haralambopoulos, who you can follow on Twitter at Life of George C. This is a special holiday-themed episode right towards the end of the year, right after Christmas. We're going to be having a few drinks, getting a little bit off the cuff. Maybe this one is, is a bit rated R, I should say. We're going to be, uh, we're going to be using a bit, of, a bit of language. We're going to be having audience members on. We'll tweet out a Zoom link as soon as we start recording, and folks can come in and join the discussion. So it should be a really fun one. We're going to have like the lobby open. So when you join from the Zoom, the Zoom link, it's going to have you in a little lobby waiting. We're going to, you know, try and give everyone, depending on how many people join us, a few minutes, each person, you know, you can talk about whatever you want. We can just shoot the shit, so be it. Or you can talk about the game, whatever you want. You know, we're game where you're, where you have your time with us. We'll talk about whatever you want to talk about. And then of course you have the opportunity uh, you get on there and then hundreds of people will be listening to you when the podcast goes live. I, for one, am excited to have George on. He's one of our original close friends who's in our group chat. We talk all the time. But I, for one, am very scared for the language that he will be using on the podcast because he likes oh, yeah. colorful language. Yeah, I might so still have will... to do some censoring even with the... Uh, even you know, the... that's not yeah. a bad idea, Peter. You can just go in there with beeps. Beep, there beep, there beep. are a few words that we maybe don't want to have be used. And so <laughs> I, can, I can always bleep stuff out. But yeah, for yeah. folks... Um, we will be recording on Sunday, the 27th. We know some folks might be with their families, but you know, if people live in a foreign country and are locked down and can't visit their families, like some of us hosts, uh, maybe you have some time to join the podcast. So that will be on Sunday at 5 p.m. approximately Eastern time, America Eastern time. Um, so we'll tweet out the link. And then as Adi said, you'll like be sitting in a little waiting room uh, and people will come in one at a time, ask your questions, say hi to us, whatnot. You know, we'll try to get everyone in there. So it'll be a bit of a fun one. One more special episode, uh, in case you couldn't tell, we had to do some brainstorming with no games for a couple weeks around the holiday break. Adi and I will be doing an instructional podcast, just a short one about analytics. Uh, we know we go into analytics a lot and sometimes don't have the time to explain explicitly what everything means. Uh, you know, we say a lot of words and sometimes we briefly mention them, but it's very difficult to do so for every metric, every episode. So from smart passes to defensive duels to PPDA, all that stuff we're going to discuss. We're just going to go over it, explain what it means, how it's defined. That will be an episode that, you know, we'll probably pin to our Twitter profile, uh, Gate7INTL, follow us on all social media platforms, so people can go back and watch it whenever they want. It's going to be a pretty quick one and hopefully useful for folks who listen to the podcast. I mean, we're going to be mainly discussing, you know, like you said, Peter, uh, smart passes, key passes, kind of the broad metrics we do most of the time. But if you do have a question about something else that maybe isn't mentioned as often or you want to make sure that's explained, DM us, post. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll put stuff on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, just reminding everybody. That way you have something because you can use that episode when we make it. It'll be really short, just enough to cover all the details for those things that you can go back to if there's a discussion we have that, you know, you listen to it, you remember what it is. And this way we don't have to keep repeating it because some people don't like the repetition, those people that do understand it or know what it is. So we're trying to, you know, uh, kind of give everybody what they want here. Yeah, and sorry we don't have a date on that one. Uh, Adi and I actually talked about potentially recording it after the Marseille game, but the way things went, I knew there was no chance that that was going to happen. Yesterday, 
probably next couple weeks you'll see that one. It'll be just a random episode, not a midweek series, not a weekend episode, uh, just a special present for all of you uh, as we get into the holiday spirit here. So keep your eyes open for that. And we hope that that's a valuable resource and, and we'll continue to refer to that once it's out. We do also want to say thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, marble, or any other goodies from Greece. They can also assist in exporting, whether you have one box or a full household of items that need to be sent over. Check them out at PiraeusINTL.com and give them a call at 410-675-4696. And before we get into the Marseille game, Alambro, I think you have some quick news for us. Yeah, I just have a quick news segment. Um, something that blew up social media before this whole Marseille thing. Pablo Garcia, new coach of Pauk, made this ridiculous comment on TV. And good for him. He speaks Greek, and it was very easy to understand Greek. He said... While some teams play friendlies, i.e. he was making a comment about us and Aris, some teams play finals every week. And that really pissed a lot of people off because it's just a ridiculous statement. Pablo Garcia, well-known, just not being a great guy on the field. He's kind of was always known as a dirty player and kind of scummy. I guess we're going to be seeing that as him as a coach. Anyway, just quick news. That's a weird one, I have to say. I guess he sort of discussed some folks from Thessaloniki talking about match fixing, sort of dispelled those rumors, so I don't really want to spend too much time on that. Yeah, exactly. Let's get into the Marseille game. Martial, obviously you've got your ties to Marseille. We talked about the last time we had you on was to preview the first fixture of this game. Unfortunately, Olympiakos lose 2-1. to one. Two penalties from Dimitri Payet uh, are what do us in after a goal by Madi Kamara in the first half to put us ahead. Very, very controversial. Many, many Greek fans, Olympiakos fans, were very upset with the result, with the officiating. Marcial, I just want to know, first off, what's your take on the game? Uh, what's to say? Um, I, uh, I remember Valbuena said on, on French TV that uh, he was wondering how Olympiakos lose that, that game because... It was a, a strange game because there, there was not a lot of situation. If you look back to the, the game, there is maybe one or two situations in each team, except the goal. And when Olympiakos went at, went at halftime with one goal, it was almost the, the perfect plan. It was the better team on, on the field. The, the first penalty is, to me, the, the turning point of the game because... It came at a time when Marseille was trying to attack, but they didn't have a lot of situations. So it's not even a situation, the, the penalty, because it's Tovin uh, that came back into the center with a lot of defender around him. It was not very dangerous and it's a stupid fall. But it's, uh, I think, a good uh, resume of Olympiakos in Champions League in the past year, because how many situations like this we have seen uh, it's like Maria against Tottenham. It's, uh, I can't remember uh, all the situation, all the, the small turning points that went against Olympiakos. And that's why we, we never went through the, the qualification because 
in order to be to be the second or even the first of a group, you, you just be perfect in six games. So that's why maybe we, we lose the game yesterday because Marseille weren't better. But when you make gift like this, the second penalty is very harsh for me because uh, you, you can't hide when a ball arrives uh, towards you, you, you put your hands. It's a human reflect, I, I think. It was on the line. I, if we also the the TV broadcasting, and it, it was on the line, and it was very weird to to see the penalty like this. You're absolutely right. And before we get into the game, I did want to address the the penalties. Um, one because there seems to be a little bit of confusion as to what the rules are. So we have the IFAB rules. This is the International Football Association rules. Uh, that about that FIFA uses UEFA, pretty much ever every major footballing nation uh, in their in their competitive leagues uses. So we wanted to clarify this because obviously none of us are disputing whether or not the they were penalties. Uh, but for me specifically, the yellow card that was given to Rafinha was particularly egregious, uh, and I'll explain that. Now the first penalty that fell from Cisse. I think it's fair for people to say it was soft. It was a pretty soft penalty, but at the same time, he did stick his leg out in a dangerous spot. He was lazy. He Instead of him going to actually put his body in front of the ball and force Talvin outside, Cissé got lazy and he stuck his leg out. That is what you get with Cissé sometimes. He can be very careless. He's been pretty good the last few weeks I'd say or the last few games um, he's been informed which is why he got the start over Ba but this is something that we warned I'm pretty sure I might have said something about it in the last podcast uh, both about Semedo and Cissé's lazy lunges we got one from Cissé it led to a penalty now the second penalty yes it was a handball and just to clarify for everyone because everyone was freaking out that he didn't do an on-field review the protocol when it comes to on-field reviews or the, the VAR, the, the referee does not have to do an on-field review for what they consider factual decisions. Factual decisions are decisions like where the location of an offense is to determine whether or not it's a PK, an offside position that could, could have led to a penalty kick, a ball being out of play leading up to a penalty kick, a case of mistaken identity, I don't think I've ever seen that since this has started. Offside position leading to a goal or ball out of play that led to a goal. Those are all things that the ref can get advice from, from the VAR room without having to do an on-field review. Now, if things start getting particularly out of hand and he feels like he needs to do the on-field review to manage the situation, to give himself more credibility, he can do it, but it's not required. Protocol does not dictate that the referee has to go and look at the screen himself, make the sign. He doesn't have to do it for this type of decision, which was considered a factual decision. Now, now that we know this, we're not saying that this wasn't a this, that this wasn't a foul. He, you know, Balbuena was protecting his face. He touched the ball. Uh, we looked at it from a bunch of different viewpoints. He's fair in calling it a handball. The penalty was based on advisement from the VAR booth. It was at their discretion. They viewed that the foul occurred right on the line. They have the right to call it a penalty, even though it's right on the line. There's nothing that says it has to be within the boundary. You know, that's kind of a judgment call they make. So it, you know, that's something that's unfortunate. It's unfortunate for us, but it's fair. 
here's where I took issue with this, the yellow card. The yellow card offense is disputable. I approached a couple friends of mine that are both referees uh, at the highest level here in the United States for their opinions as well, uh, and they confirmed my own suspicions as well. For a yellow card to be applied for a handball, it does not matter necessarily if you are right at the goal or if the goal or if the if your hand blocks the goal. What matters is intent. Rafinha did not intend to stop that shot out of malice. He wasn't doing it out of unsportsmanlike conduct. It was a reflex to protect his face. So, yes, it's a handball, and it was inside. They declared it inside the box. It's a PK, but it shouldn't have been a yellow card. Now, I'm going to read for you the IFAB rules regarding uh, handballs and unsport unsporting behavior. So, according to the IFAB, Cautions for unsporting behavior. There are different circumstances when a player must be cautioned for unsporting behavior, including if a player handles the ball to interfere with or stop a promising attack. Now, I'm going to do some reading comprehension here because we got into semantics on Twitter with this. Handles the ball. This is the action. The action of handling the ball. Touching the ball with your hand. Two. It's a linking word that is used for indirect objects, okay? To interfere with or stop a promising attack. Interfere with or stop a promising attack is the purpose of the action of handling the ball, okay? So this reading comprehension should tell you that if you are handling the ball with the purpose of interfering with or stopping a promising attack, this is unsporting behavior. So there is intention here. Intention is required for this to be a bookable offense. Now, obviously, yes, you know, this is discretion from the referee. He saw it as that way. But you can make the case that this should not have been bookable. Now, there are other circumstances in the IFAB that in their laws of the game with this that will support this. Here are the other things that are cautionable offenses. Attempts to deceive the referee by feigning injury or pretending to have been fouled. Changing places with the goalkeeper during a play without the ref's permission. Committing a foul in a reckless manner or a direct free kick offense. Handling the ball in order to uh, stop a promising attack. I already said that. Committing any other offense which interferes with or stops a promising attack except where the referee awards a penalty for an offense which was an attempt to play the ball. Clarification on an attempt to play the ball. Denying an opponent an obvious goal-scoring opportunity by an offense which was an attempt to play the ball and the referee awards a penalty kick. Handles the ball in an attempt to score a goal, whether or not it's a successful, or in an unsuccessful attempt to prevent a goal. Making unauthorized marks on the field of play. Playing the ball when leaving the field of play after being told to leave the field. Everything about every piece of this implies intent. There's a reason why handling the ball to interfere with a stop or promising attack is considered unsporting behavior because there's the intention for you to stop it with your hands. You gave all the definitions there, and I could not be asked with people going on Twitter as Olympiacos fans and saying, oh, it's not a handball. We deserve to lose. Like, Give me a break. Like, in Greece, we have problems with the referees, blah, blah, blah. We always talk about the referees, but that was atrocious. 
And then literally five minutes later, the Camara of Marseille literally sticks out his arm, reaches out his arm and bats a ball away that Holibas was playing a through ball. And he didn't yep. get booked. It was so insane. It was, yep. it was like, and, and the big thing for me is UEFA and FIFA keep having this thing about we don't want head injuries. We're protecting players more for concussions. Literally, Rafinha, Marshall, you said it perfectly. He reacts like, oh, my God, I'm about to get concussed. He throws his hand up to block his head, which is about a ball-driven. And, and I had some guy in my Twitter DMs telling me, oh, have you ever played football before? Yes, I've played football before, and I've had a ball come straight from my head. And what am I going to do? I'm going to put my hand up so I don't get concussed. Like, what? That was so stupid. Like, yeah. that that's your natural reaction. And P- FIFA punishing players for this is going to lead to more concussions and stupid head injuries. Like, I, I really don't want to talk that much about refs and all that jazz. But I also mentioned on Twitter, Marinakis, after the, the freaking ridiculous statements for Man City, where it was, okay, it was a foul, but we would have lost anyway. Where were you last night? You, you couldn't have made a statement last night about the referees? That was a joke. You should have been the first one in front of the cameras. Where where were you last night? It was so easy against Man City. There was nothing to be said, not even a club statement. Like that that that's my whole view on the situation. Yeah. No, I, I mean I, I agree with you. I mean, for me it was still you know, I understand why it was a penalty and it was it was a handball, even if you're protecting your face. Um, there are some leagues like in the United States in the NCAA or in the MLS, if you protect your if you protect your face with your hands to protect the ball, you know, and it's going right at your face, sometimes the ref won't call it. Sometimes they give it um, a, a direct free kick outside the box. I've seen it both ways. But for me, it was the yellow card offense that was the issue because Rafinha wasn't trying to put his hand out to stop the shot. Uh, he was trying to protect his face. And that's that's the important thing for me. Uh, but in regards to you know people saying, oh, this ref did fine, I disagree wholeheartedly. Fortunius got fouled in the first half by Bubakar Kamara three times. Now, in the IFAB, when there is a pattern, a, a specific pattern of habit or, or a pattern of fouls, that is a bookable offense. And it doesn't have to be by one person on another player. If one player is getting fouled more often than not, or more than other players on the team, that is considered a pattern. Fortunis got fouled multiple times by the same player, and he didn't get cautioned until the 88th minute. Let's not forget, Amavi tried to tackle Mari Kamara. I don't know if you guys remember that. He, he literally, it was in the second half. Mari had the ball. He started to come backwards, and Amavi pretty much comes out and looks like he's Ray Lewis tackling him. I mean, that's absurd, and it was definitely intentional, but fine. You know what? Maybe, maybe you let that one go. But the elbow in the back of Rusai, when uh, we were coming out uh, and it led to a counter that went through Mari Kamara when he dribbled through uh, two, two players on that left side. Rusai took a nasty elbow in the back that started the whole thing. And the ref played the advantage. He made the signal, played the advantage, but didn't come back to give a card. And then Rusai also got slid into, also given as an advantage, but no card again. So... Even though I'm not going to blame the referee for this loss, the officiating was lopsided. There were plenty of egregious fouls that were not called. It's disappointing, but again, silver lining here. I'm not blaming the ref for the loss because he wasn't completely to blame for this. Well, Adi, thank you for the very thorough description of the refereeing. I think I speak for Lambro when, you know, I don't really want to get into it anymore. 
Uh, I rarely, rarely say that referees, you know, change the game. Uh, I don't want to make that argument. I know the, the VAR has just made things very weird, but um, even then I always try to defer from, you know, yelling at the refs and saying it's the refs' fault. We were the first to criticize Marinakis when he made the comments about Manchester City last time because it, the referees did not actually change the outcome of that game. But in this case, it's definitely a bit more fishy. Uh, we had Perry on one of our previous podcasts who sort of, in a way, predicted this and basically said Marseille are a very high-reputation club with a lot of history and don't be surprised if there's some fishy refereeing to help them avoid their 14th record-breaking consecutive defeat in the Champions League. So that's certainly a bit of a coincidence as well, but we can move on to the actual game. Um, I don't want to say it was directly impacted by the referee decisions, but obviously Marseille scoring a goal and then getting up by another goal, you could definitely tell that we looked a bit worse. And if you look at the game overall, uh, it's, it's really not great from us. You expect Olympiacos to play better, especially there were some moments in the first half when we really just looked like the better team. Overall, definitely a very sloppy game from both sides, I would say. Yeah, and you saw that just in our in our ball play. I mean, uh, Marseille outpossessed us the majority of the game. There were two 10-minute stretches at the end of the first half and at the end of the second half where we were on the ball more really possessing and making things work. But for the majority of the time, Marseille was, was dominating possession. I don't mean like 60-40 or 70-30. It was more like 55-45. So not utter domination, but they, they, were, they were winning the majority of the possession. Now, here was more of the concerning part for me. And I think a lot of people on Twitter saw the same thing. We tweeted the metrics out earlier. Olympiacos completed as a team 331 of 400 attempted passes. This is the lowest number of attempted and completed passes that the club has had the entire season. Even going back to last season, team pass accuracy was under 83%. We have never been close to that low. And you it's you saw it. Uh, I believe it was OnlyFan1925 even said the same thing. The eye test you saw. I mean, just we weren't as crisp. We weren't as sharp. The interplay wasn't quite as clear. And I kind of blame the the commentator from CBS or or BT BT Sport, whoever was actually the one that was televising the game, uh, because he cursed us in the in the first like five six minutes. He's like, "Oh, Lubiakos is the the better of the two teams with interplay in the final third, which first of all isn't true this season. We've complained about how bad it is, but then it was just after after that and after the goal from Madi, it was just kind of went downhill a little bit from there." You could see that just in our, our possession of the ball. Yeah, it just felt like we couldn't hold on to the ball ever. And Martial, as a Marseille fan, I kind of wanted to ask you like how you viewed Marseille last night. I honestly thought Dimitri Paye had a decent game. I was disappointed, well, disappointed in, in Cuisance. I thought he was quite poor, actually, last night. It's, it's very hard to analyze this game because... Um... Marseille weren't that good, uh, except maybe Payet because he had to take the responsibility for, for the penalties. But Tovin was very poor in the first half. Uh, Benedetto was very, was almost invisible. Uh, as you said, Cuisance did a bad game. And I think maybe the, the best player, it could be Alvaro because he, he saved a, a crucial 
a crucial ball uh, uh, in the stoppage time. And it could have been a, a draw, and that's why it's very hard to analyze because uh, even if the ref are, are not to blame, they change the game uh, because when you lose by two penalties, it's, it's always a, a ref decision. So that's how the game was decided. And Ari, you spoke about the, the passes and maybe the, the reason for me is because M. Villa, he wasn't very good in passing uh, compared to the, the other games in Champions League, especially. So, yes, in a game in a game like that, when you play in a, against a, a team who could be presented as uh, lower than you because they have lost the uh, 13 last game of Champions League, uh, you need a, a player in the midfield who can uh, bypass the midfield of Marseille, who can create spaces. And he tried to, but he failed too much to be dangerous. And maybe it's the one regret I have on this game and also the El Arabi's game. But uh, except that, Olympiacos did a, a good game, I think. Yeah, the deal with Mvila. I mean, I, I totally agree with you, Martial. We saw it over the weekend where he was sort of dropping back to a, a third center back, and it was like maybe, okay, we're just trying to sit back against a Greek team, I guess, which, I mean, doesn't make too much sense, but, I mean, maybe they were just trying to play that way. And then to see it again against Marseille just made even less sense for me. He did actually have 36 of 40 completed passes, which is above average for the team, but, I mean, that's probably because he wasn't taking as many risks. He was making easy passes. 40 attempted passes is less than we usually see from Mvila. He only had one long ball attempted, and it was an incomplete pass. Uh, usually we see more from that. That's just not enough. He did have one shot assist. Not enough from him in terms of helping our attack, jump-starting our attack. And I think Cissé was uh, better than him in, uh, in passes last night because... Except his penalty, he improved a lot in his passes because we all remember that in the past game, he, he had a lot of uh, poor passes. I can remember the City game in England. But yesterday in Marseille, he almost played the Envilla's role uh, by uh, finding Brozai, Fortunis, even El Arabi. Yep. Well, Cissé certainly had more long balls. He was doing, he had more long balls. Uh, now, Mvila didn't quite sit as far back as he did in the Adis game, but he was still further back. Uh, and then, of course, we had the same issues again with literally Mari and Costa on top of each other. The pass map, when you look it up, just to quickly go over formations, we lined up in that 4-3-3 again, but functionally we played for 90% of the game as a 4-4-1-1 makeshift 4-4-2 with Madi as that like lagging forward. That's kind of how the structure shaped out on the field. And of course, Fortunis was on that right wing, but kept drifting inwards. We didn't have a lot of width on the right side. You brought this up earlier, Martial. No, neither team was really excellent going forward. And you saw that in the positional attacks. Uh, Olympiacos had 20 positional attacks, only getting two shots from them. Nine from the left side, zero X goal differential or expected goal differential. Eight from the middle, resulting in a grand total of 0.05 expected goal differential. And then three from the right. Obviously, we're not going to have many attacks from the right if we don't have a right winger sitting out on the right stretching the width. Marseille was much more clinical in this respect in terms of getting shots off, even though they weren't as effective as well. Pretty much most of the attacks came from that left side. Their left, which was testing, obviously, Rafinha, who was the, our right back on that side. 22 positional attacks, five resulting in shots. 
as I mentioned, 12 from the left, total ex uh, expected goal differential 0.13, um, one from the middle, zero, and then nine from the right resulting in 0.05. So neither team was super effective when they were in possession, but Marseille did have in open play a couple of better attempts than we did. I'm going to be honest, the, this 4-3-3 formation with the personnel we have sucks. It's garbage to watch. It's terrible football. Like Buha, Lakis, MV, and Mari Kamara, I don't know if that's going to work. I think you pick two of them and you roll because this is not working. Fortunis can't produce the same role that Valbuena does in, on the wing. It just is not coming off. And then you have a winger in Vrusai who's left alone. And El Arabi is just floating around. I'm so sick and tired of watching this 4-3-3 with the personnel we have. It worked last year because of Guillerme instead of Envia for me. My eyes hurt every time we play this formation. I, there, there's a lot of things that trouble me. One, because you know we mentioned earlier that our possession, our, our ability to break through the attacking third has not been as good. Uh, part of the reason is Valbuena, Valbuena's absence. I'm going to be honest. We posted a metric earlier about how we were averaging, before he left for injury, 22 crosses a game, all right? That's important for helping us establish with drawing out defenders. Since he's been gone, we are averaging 10.25 crosses a game, literally half, less than half the crosses we normally have per game. And Valbuena might not be doing all those crosses himself, but he's getting into positions which is helping open up and helping people get crosses in. And that's a bit of a problem. Uh, now, in this game, we had 13. But again, uh, we're seeing this affecting the product on the field. And it, it, it is troubling. It really is. The 4-3-3, we don't really have the horses for. We need that width on the right side. And I agree with you, Lambro. Pick two of the DMs, Madi and Vila. Madi Bukalakis and roll with them and play some wingers. Well, and this is exactly what I asked for on the last podcast. I mean, I didn't think Martins would start Versailles. So I said, my thought was he'll probably go Masuras and Fortunis, but I would want Versailles on the right wing, Fortunis in the 10, and then get one of the two DMs out of there and have Madi play as an eight. And he surprised us going with Versailles. And Versailles had a very good game. Obviously, we don't know if Rusai and Masuras are going to put in a huge amount of crosses, but it's like Adi said, we just need the width, and then maybe that can help Rafinha get crosses off or Holebas get crosses off if they're not as isolated. So that's what we need to see, I think. I think we need to just get rid of Fortunis on the wing. I know we've had injuries, but like we've said it for the Ethniki, it doesn't work, and it doesn't work for Olympiacos either. I want him in the ten. I agree, but I think that if we had a, another profile of, strike, of striker, maybe um, someone different from um, El Arabi and Hassan, uh, who can go into the, the defense, because uh, we have a, a special player, which is Madi, and he can play uh, as a 6, as an 8, as a 10, as a second striker. And, I, uh, and I'm starting to think that he's not surrounded by enough good player to be as good as he could be. Even about Fortunis uh, yesterday, I think he was quite decent, but El Arabi was so poor and uh, he didn't offer a lot of solution. And maybe if we, if we could have another striker, maybe younger, someone would go behind the defenders. Yeah, with to, more pace uh, almost, you would say. Yeah, right? more pace. Yeah, Just to come no. off the bench, maybe. 
And, and now that I'm thinking about it, what, what was our most successful Champions League game and how did we play? The first game against Marseille and how did we start the game in 4-2-3-1 and who were the best players? Who were we singing the praise? Ugalakis and Envia, we said they looked great together in that 4-2-3-1 together. And I agree, Maddie has to has to play. So this, this is the conundrum. It's like, who do you drop from the three? Because all three, they don't work together for me. It's just, it's not working. And one of them, a decision has to be made. Like, this isn't working. This isn't the same team from last year. You're going to have to drop one. So the decision needs to be made and it has to be made quick. Or we're going to keep watching this. You, you, it, it's just, it, it's difficult to watch. And I don't know if we want to go into this now, but is El Arabi the same player? I know people are mad on social media and people are mad in the press. Like, what what happened to this guy over the summer? He has not enough uh, competition, I think, because... Yeah, agreed. Uh, I agree. If you, if you take a look at the other striker, uh, Hassan is, for me, a good player, but if in order to use him... Well, you need to play in 4-4-2 maybe with two, two strikers. And it's the same for Sudani because if you remember yesterday, he almost gave an assist to Cissé. He, he can't play alone uh, up front. He needs another one to play. I think it's maybe the when we analyze the, the team, uh, it's maybe the, the one of the crucial parts of the team to, be, to make singing in uh, January. Maybe one very good striker. Yeah, I, I, I agree for sure. And I don't know. I wonder if this is a place where you can look abroad for a Greek player. Maybe this controversial, but Tasos Donis, I don't know what he's up to. He could fit the profile. Kouloris, I don't know what he's up to. I, I don't know. I think that may be the lane that strikes the path. You find a Greek player on the cheap from abroad. I don't. Honestly, I don't have the answers, but... One thing I just want to put in is this Olympiacos team isn't as good as last year. Like, let's just be honest, this, this team has regressed. But one thing for certain is the team isn't playing the right way. The team hasn't been arranged, I think, in the way. And I think we're trying to figure that out on the fly since we didn't have a preseason. We need to figure out how to put the pieces together so it works because it's not working right now. And if that means dropping this 4-3-3, I think it, it needs to be done. I don't know. Well, if if we were healthy, when the team was healthy, when the pieces were there, even though they were older, the product on the field might have seemed slower, but our production was better. More crosses, higher higher rate of efficiency with attacks. All of those metrics supported that. Obviously, now we have injuries. We're missing. We were missing some key players. Now, you know, we have an out of form El Arabi. So all of this is playing a role. Where the issue that I have, of course, is depth. You know, we had a long time. We had a, a lengthy summer window to to resolve this. We got stingy with certain replacements, I should say, or certain uh, pieces instead of forking out 500K to seal a deal, get somebody in. Uh, you know, instead of maybe just just to get them, we we waited to see if we got something something else, and then we got rushed into other deals that haven't panned out. Um, we really kind of hit the worst with probabilities here in terms of injuries and, and of course, COVID. So, and it, it stinks. It really does stink. And, uh, you know, we, the club put us in this position. I'm not going to necessarily fault Martins for this. I think this is on the front office because Martins gave them the list of players he wanted. It's their job to do the negotiating and get the player in here. He's working with what he has. 
he is stubborn. Don't get me wrong. I've I, this is something I've constantly, constantly lamented with him. How stubborn he is with his player choices, sticking and reusing the same players over and over, running them into the ground like our midfield. But I don't know how how upset we necessarily can be it, in terms of the product that's on the field when it's healthy. It's more that did we succeed in obtaining the proper depth over the summer, which we didn't. I agree with you, but I would like to say two things. And the first one is like some, uh, maybe we need to accept that the player uh, who left the club uh, last summer uh, reached a level that cannot be replaced for a club like Olympiacos because uh, just look Podense in Premier League. I watch almost every Volverant of games. And now he's, he is maybe one of the top players in his position in the Premier League. And when Simikas left, you, you, you know that you can't be replacing him because it's, it costs uh, 15 million of euros. And, if you, and also the thing that um, we, lose, we lose time, as you said, by chasing players and waiting for better deals. Um, for example, like Troco. Yep. Even if I don't like her, I was saying uh, maybe we could find better, but... Um, I think it's not easy for anyone in Europe. If you take a look at the Champions League uh, this season, every every team has a COVID issue, uh, injury issues, uh, players that um, weren't able to leave and now they have they have to play. We are not doing so so bad, but uh, it's very difficult for a big Greek club because the money is different also. And yeah. Yeah, you're not wrong, Marcial. You're not. Um, obviously, we would have wanted at least something at left back. That Zaidu Sanusi from Porto would have been amazing. Uh, obviously, not Chimikas' level, but a very good player. Of course, very, it's just at the player. end of the... Yeah, he would have been great. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Porto are going to win players over us most of the time. That's just how it's going to be. It looks like we will probably end up finishing third. In the group right now, we have the head-to-head -head advantage over Marseille, I think, on away goals. So if they get the same results as us next week or a worse result, uh, we will be going into Europa League. Marseille will have to get something off of Manchester City, and then we will have to get less against Porto in order for them to advance. But I think third is just about right for this yes. team. With injuries aside, I just uh, they haven't been super convincing to me. And Martial, I wanted to ask you something. Um, just, I'm just interested in what you thought since you've known Jan Vila as a player for much longer than we have. Uh, we've seen him drop back very deep, as we sort of mentioned already, and as we mentioned last weekend. It's rather unproductive when we're trying to attack, and it's it certainly um, annoyed all three of us here at the podcast. Adi, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Jan Vila had more backward passes than forward passes. Uh he did. He Marseille. pulled the Bacasetas here. He and the that's, that's like yeah. particularly egregious for me, especially when you sit so deep. It's really hard for you to have more back passes than forward passes when you're when you have the whole field in front of you. And that's right, you know, and this is kind of where the difference is uh between Jan and Vila and uh, and Guillerme. Because remember, uh, last year, it was Bukalakis that was sitting a little bit further back, not with the defensive line, kind of parked in front of them. And Jan is not just staying parked in front of them. He becomes a part of that defensive line. And then we lose that extra outlet in the midfield. Guillerme was ever-present there. He was constantly moving around, available for the ball. And you need somebody like that to make those moves. 
to not just free free you up from a high press situation, which Marseille employed, by the way, we'll get into that later, but you need that so you can actually get things moving. And Guillerme did so much in that movement. And that was something that we took for granted. And it was something we've mentioned before in previous podcasts. Uh, actually, when Guillerme left, when we talked about the importance of Guillerme, something that we said, we need to fill this. Yanem Vila is taking the place of what Bukalakis did last year. And then Bukalakis is supposed to assume the role that Guillerme had. But he doesn't move as much into those spaces as he did. And we're seeing that. Martial, do you think that the way Mvila is playing might be a bit of the instruction from Martins? Because for me, it seems like there's been a bit of a recent change and he's been sitting even farther back. Do you uh, think it, that's just the way he likes to play or do you think that's the coach telling him to do something? It's funny because when he came to, to us, uh, a lot of uh, Saint-Étienne fans told me on Twitter that he always playing backward and he, he, he mm. loves to do that. And so I think it's, mainly part of his profile, but it doesn't bother me because I, we saw uh, on the Champions League game uh, very good at and making passes, long passes. We are comparing him to Guillaume, who was maybe more offensive. We all remember his goal uh, in corners, for example, when he came to the first post and, and then make a deviation. I think Envila is another player. Uh, yes. He's another style. He's a very good player for me, and he succeeded uh, to integrate into the, into the team. But you mentioned Buchalakis, and I think the main issue with Buchalakis is he's a smart player. He understands the game, but sometimes I think his feet doesn't follow his brain. I don't know if I'm clear, because when you see him play, he's, he always tries to, to do the right passes in the right time. He knows the game well, but... His uh, technical skills are, are not good enough to be the, the key player of the midfield. You're 100% right, Martial. Uh, like is also a confidence player. So when his confidence is down, he screws more things up than, you know, than not. Um, I didn't think, you know, in this game in particular, I didn't think he was, you know, was super poor. I thought he actually was all right. When it comes to Mvila, you know, I, I believe Jan Mvila is a great player. Uh, I mean, his one touch is silky, helps us keep possession very well. My problem is, is that we swapped Guillerme for him, but we didn't make the proper adjustment knowing how important Guillerme was in, with the movement of that field. And Vila's a different type of player. And we have to adjust based on that. And the adjustment you make is that you don't continue to try to run the same 4-3-3. You know, I think Jan Mvila is better when we play the 4-2-3-1 and we run with him as a double pivot and we still run with a 10, a real 10. Fortunis has the 10. And then you let Madi run box to box. You give him the space to move around and do what he and do what he can. That's where I think we succeed the most. And I know, you know, Martins tinkers. He, he game manages. He, you know, he tries. The, the first game we played with Marseille, uh, Lombard, I know you brought up 4-2-3-1, but remember, we actually ran the 4-4-2 with big man, little man, uh, Valbuena with El Arabi up top. Uh, and that was to deny the width and to hold Payet and Talvin in check. We did the same thing this game, which worried me because if Cuisance had a better game, I, I know for a fact he would have torn through the lines and he would have broken us apart. But in this game, our defense actually did quite well stopping that. Uh, we didn't allow any smart passes. No dangerous through balls came through. The lines were pretty tight. And in that, we did quite well. The problem was at the opposite end, obviously. In fact, really the only aspect of us getting forward that was 
positive were our counters. And that's really the only thing that we have going for us right now that's super effective is the counter. In uh, against Adis, our counters were were the most dangerous. Same thing uh, against Marseille. Our counters were really what where the danger came from. Uh, that's kind of more of the problem for me. And I I'd just like to point out to the Guillerme replacement is Pepe, but we just don't know what Pepe is going to be, right, guys? That's that's sort of the problem. It's just yeah. long term Pepe may be that player, but for this team right now, Martins isn't going to use him because he doesn't feel comfortable with him, and he, if we're being honest, hasn't shown particularly that he can fill that role yet, which, to be honest with you, I see the talent in Pepe and I have confidence in him long-term, but I, I, I doubt he can just do it in half a season with no preseason and coming in from an injury. Remember, everyone, he came yep. he came in with a knock. So long-term, he's going to do it, I think, but it's just like Martins has to drop one of these midfielders and put him in there. Uh, and, and that midfielder may be Buhalakis if we want to take the next step. You are right to, to point that uh, Pepe came injured because all the, the singing that came to uh, be the replacement of the player who, who went uh, to another club came injured, like Bruma, uh, Vinare, Pepe. They, they, they could all be uh, starting players, but they came injured and they lose time and they didn't catch that time because you, you had to play the Champions League uh, very quickly. Yeah, well, I should say if uh, Coach Martins is listening, we play Volos this weekend. They're a mid-table team in Greece. If you need to get these guys some fitness, now is the time. I just want to make a very quick point. When you think about these players that are coming in, we talk about how, you know, against these big teams like Semedo doesn't care when he's in Greece. Uh, but, you know, the guys who are just getting in, Mohamed Drager, you know, you can talk about he's not the best player, but even in these Greek games, he really tries hard. And that's sort of a good precedent to set for the team. So maybe if we can get Pepe, get him in more in Greece, keep getting him in in Greece, and then maybe that effort will start to be set. The thing is, Ruben Vinagre, I think, didn't come to Olympiacos to play in Greece. And he has this big head, I think. A lot of these loanies came in with their release clauses and they're like, I came here to play Champions League football to show that I'm good enough to play for whatever. And then Ruben Vinagre shows up and it's like, do it against Volos, man. I don't think his head is there to do it against Volos. And I think also that's why it's important to... to uh... To end up third of the group because uh, if I'm not wrong, the Europa League will, will be played in February. Martins will have time to prepare the game and maybe to uh, to integrate some players like Pepe, like uh, I don't know Dragger, uh, in order to be more ready for the Europa League than we we went to the Champions League. One thing about Ruben Vinagre, I really wonder if he's gone in in January. Like, I have a gut feeling he's gone. It feels very Emre Moore. I know I've made that comment a few times, but he doesn't seem all there as a player. And I don't, the way he's being used gives you kind of an idea that this may be the end for him in January back to Wolves. Well, we're only going to let go of him if we get someone else. So, you know, if we get someone that's worthy of letting him go, I'm all for it. Like, I just want anyone. Now, Adi, let's go back to the Marseille game and discuss some more things. Um, some interesting notes about pressing in this game. We'd commented how we really have applied the press recently, even against 
some other European teams. But what did we see in terms of pressing in PPDA against Marseille? It was poor. It was not at all how we approached Marseille in the first leg. In the first leg, the press was, I mean, we pressed high. Now, to be fair, Marseille pressed us as well in the first leg. Ours, it was very tactical. Pedro Martins would ease into the press and then, you know, kind of go for the throat. And then when we scored the goal, it was at the height of our press. We never really reached a real height of the press in this game. And that was something that concerned me. We had, you know, maybe spurts here and there of high press. But on the whole, we didn't. I mean, our average for the game was 15.82. And for those that don't remember, PPDA is passes per defensive action. Olympiacos was allowing almost 16 passes before they went to challenge the ball. That's really bad. And the only time our press has been that poor has been against Manchester City. And that's tough. Obviously, you you accept that because Manchester City plays one touch, a lot of one touch, very fast paced ball, understandable. But against Marseille, I mean, it, it didn't seem like we were doing it. Now Marseille's PPDA was high, uh, you know, or I, I guess I should say technically it was it was low. It, eight. They allowed eight passes per defensive action, and you saw that they were constantly moving up on us, trying to crowd out the midfield, getting back to us. And I could only recall about three occasions where we were pressed into their third. So I was a little bit disappointed with that because that off-the-ball movement, that off-the-ball strategy that we have, the high press, has been something that was that has made us successful, not just against teams in Greece, but in Champions League. It's how we played so well against Bayern, and it's how we almost upset Tottenham. I, I am going to just quickly highlight a bright spot because I know, uh, I think Lambro still has some more ranting in him, but... I do want to maybe put a bit of a smile on his face and, and go through Mario Vrusai for a little bit, give the, the Vrusai report of the episode. Another very good game from him. Now, to play devil's advocate, he was going up against Hiroki Sakai on the right, which uh, is a pretty easy task, all things considered. He's not a very good player. He's one of the weaker players in the Marseille lineup. But Vrusai, very good, had the assist had one attempted smart pass, had a key pass, that shot assist, that's separate from uh, the assist to Mahdi. One of one on his long balls, 25 for 31 on his passes. Um, he got involved defensively a lot. Actually, he was four for seven on his defensive duels, only one for six on aerial and loose ball duels. I mean, he's a winger. He's not going to be winning aerial duels. Six interceptions, nine recoveries, and one clearance. He was really getting involved there. Obviously, against City, we saw him in sort of a right wing back role. So maybe that's not super surprising, but good to see that he's got the ability to go back. We know that Martins likes that about Masuras. And the funny thing about all this, Peter, if you take Vrusai's production just from this game, this his first 90-minute appearance for us, and you compare it to Radejevic's last three starts, he has more production in one game than Lazar has in three starts with us. Vrusai has earned his starting spot at this point over Lazar. Over Lazar, hell, maybe even Masuras in certain contexts. He needs to be on the field. He has the most production, offensive production right now of current wingers that we have. Now, maybe it might not be fair because, you know, we haven't, we still haven't seen a real good look at Bruma yet. He's been, you know, between injury and what have you. But Vrusai is making the case for himself. Now, the only reason I say the last three games for Lazar, I didn't go back any further. But I, it probably spans further than that in terms of the production. So for me, Vrusai had a good game and he can track, he can track back, which we know is important to Martins. So for me, I see no reason not to keep going with the hot feet here. 
I agree completely, and I'm going to take a victory lap. I've been saying this for three months now. Versailles should be getting incorporated into the team. I think he, he showed a lot of character, and he showed how good of a player he is to step into a European match and play so well. And I would go so far to say is he may be the most talented winger on the team right now, given what we've seen. I, I haven't seen enough from Bruma, Masuras. We know the limitations technically. Lazar, you guys know my opinion of. Rusai needs to be in this team. Honestly, when Valbuena's back, I want to see Rusai, Valbuena, and Fortunis play together. And I think that that may be the best front three we have. And we'll, we'll see how that goes. And we'll figure out the striker later. later. <laughs> Marcia, did you like uh, Rusai's performance? Yeah, and I think the what I liked the most is uh, that he's very smart because when you take a look at the assist that he gave to Kamara, uh, maybe Lazar could have uh, tried to shoot at Mamanda because he was in a good position. But Brusai was intelligent enough to to go to go back to to find Kamara at the entrance of the 16 meters and. Maybe it's coming from uh, his experience in uh, Willem because he learned uh, a new football. He has to, to develop himself as a player, as a man. And uh, when I see Rangelovic, maybe it's what uh, he's lacking because he's not evolving enough in his way of playing and he's always doing the same uh, mistakes. He tries a lot to, to dribble and sometimes it, it doesn't work. And Vorusai... He has the good Masuras characteristic because he runs a lot, he defends well, he will play a lot for, for the team, but he has a lot of technical ability that could help us to be maybe better in the in what we see for Olympiakos this season. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, now, while we're kind of on the player analysis, in terms of the defense, I wanted to specifically kind of spotlight Cissé's performance because a lot of people... Obviously, we're really upset with Cissé after that penalty. Again, we kind of touched on it. You know, this is something that Cissé just does. He has kind of these lazy challenges or these haphazard challenges that end up leading to something dangerous for the other team. And that's terrible. Um, I don't think Ba would have done something like this. I think Ba is more careful. I think Ba in this position does have a higher ceiling than Cissé. I think what we see with Cissé right now, even though he's in form, this is Cissé. I don't know how much better it gets. He still makes some of these really weird lunges and careless challenges. I don't see a lot of improvement there. But overall, he did have a pretty solid defensive game here. And, and in terms of his ball playing, 45 of 50 passes, 10 of 13 long balls. Cissé has overtaken Semedo in some ways in that quarterback position. He's picking out these long balls constantly, and he's getting better and better at it. That's one thing that is that's great, and I like to see. It's a huge improvement. Defensively, he was he was actually okay. You know, two for three defensive duels. Obviously, the defensive duel he lost was when he gave up the PK. Five of six in the air, solid in the air. Um, three for six loose balls, effectively four of six because one of the losses uh, he did, he shielded the ball out for a throw in. Uh, to me, that's a win. Three interceptions, 17 recoveries, led Alibiakos in recoveries, mopping up the ball, one clearance. Um, he had two bad giveaways in possession. He had that 
long ball. I think it was in the beginning, right? The first play of the second half just absolutely overhit this long ball, I think, toward the, toward the right side. And then he had another bad giveaway that would have led to a dangerous counter if Payette was maybe a little bit less fat and had a quicker step to him. But other than that, I mean, if you if you remove the, the penalty, we're saying he has a pretty decent game because he was pretty solid defensively. But again, when you play CSA, you have the risk of these really lazy mistakes. I agree with you. Um, um, also, I would like to say that uh, if I'm not wrong, uh, since he came to the club, he never made a full season, like uh, a 40-game season, maybe. And that's why that's what he needs, because yesterday we, we all saw that his physical abilities are way above the average players, even in Champions League, because he can win almost every aerial uh, duel. And he's trying to improve his... Uh, his passing skills, but in order to work to, uh, into the, his concentration, he needs to play more. Yep. There is no miracle solution. Uh, mm -hmm. We all remember that his injury last season, about four months maybe, and as a centre-back, there is not a lot of rotation, so it's very hard to, to gain time. He just needs that, and I think he could be a, a good player, but I'm, I'm not sure that it will be at Olympiakos. And we might have to wait until Semedo leaves to potentially see that if he does stay at Olympiacos. He certainly, in the past, has been linked with Premier League clubs. But if Semedo leaves, it's him and Ba. And we've talked about how him and Ba might not be the best combination. But with Cissé becoming more capable of playing these long balls, maybe that is a bit better. Now, moving on from the defense, I also wanted to highlight, I guess, the just really quickly, the midfield performance. To me, it kind of looked like our midfield was 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 really tired. We already talked about Nvila a little bit. Disappointing, you know, even though he is very clinical for us in possession, but it he just kind of felt absent. You know, we, we need more of a presence, not somebody sitting in, in the back line. One interception, six recoveries. Uh Buchalakis had the only smart pass of the team. So that says something. Buchalakis was the only person that was able to cut a long ball and really split the defense. Four interceptions, eight recoveries. Uh, Bukalakis only had two real bad giveaways. That one, that pass that just kind of went off the side of his foot and almost led to a dangerous opportunity. Won all of his defensive duels, all of his aerial duels. Three crosses from him as well, so not too shabby. Now, Mahdi, of course, had the goal. Tried a lot, also kind of failed at a lot. Uh, this reminded me of Mahdi from two years ago. Execution wasn't really there, but the ideas were a lot of effort was there. And Martial, you brought it up. Maybe if there was better quality around him today, if El Arabi wasn't so poor, um, you know, if we if there was better moving pieces around him, maybe maybe some of those turn out. And then finally, really probably just the for me the worst player on the field, El Arabi. I mean, I don't even I don't even really know what to say. It, you know, he just didn't do much. Two of 11 total offensive duels. Two of 11. Couldn't hold the ball up well. Um, tried to dribble on people four times. Succeeded once. Two of seven in the air. Seven loose ball duels. Didn't win a single one. And behind the ball, one interception. Just a whole lot of nothing. All he really had going for him was that header that he kind of hit straight at the keeper. 
just another poor game. And I said before, form is temporary, class is permanent. I hope, I hope that's the case. I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> Maybe class is also temporary. <laughs> we, we would I would love to, to have to have seen a, a back in form Metro Glue uh, yesterday uh, in this kind oh, of boy. game. Uh, oh hell yeah! Just before he, he went to to Fulham, uh, I think we, oh, we, we could have won uh, maybe two or three three nil yesterday. Yeah, and I think we would have also beaten Porto if that was the case. God, yeah, baby. So to wrap up this game quickly, just to make sure that we have time, uh, I think maybe it's a good time to do our usual man of the match coaches grade, and then uh, we will go into the other two Greek games. And then maybe if, uh, if Lambro or Adi want to also talk about the team in general for Olympiacos, but let's do this quickly, Martial. I know you do have to get going and that's fine. But uh, the last thing we'll ask of you is your man of the match, obviously disappointing game for Olympiacos today, but to identify one player that did well for the club and then to assign Pedro Martins a grade from A to F uh, you know, how well did he do managing the game? Um, I would say that the man of the match for me is Madi Kamara because uh, uh, his goal is very, very beautiful, but more in the, the way he created it because uh, it, was not, it was not an easy situation. And he showed that he has a, a great potential. And I think he, the club gained maybe five or 10 million just yesterday because all the Europe's saw the, the potential camera has. But Mar Martins, I would like to give, to give him a, a C because the, the only bad thing he did uh, was to keep El Arabi too long on the field. That's why, that's uh, where we see that uh, Hassan's absence was very important because he could have stepped up into the game later, maybe at the, after one hour. And it would help us a lot, but I would like to give a C to Martins. I was going to say C or C plus uh, for Martins. I'm also, I just, I, I, we talked about it already. I really don't like Fortunis on the wing. I don't like, he, he's fine. I think he's fine. But I mean, he's fine because he sort of drifts into where he wants to be in the center. And we do this weird thing where like him and Madi both sort of come out on the wing sometimes and, it's just weird to watch. Like neither of them are really natural out there. They both want to be central midfielders. We just need to have somebody else out there so Fortunis can do what he wants and so that Rafinha isn't isolated on the right side, as we discussed, very similar to the ethnic key. That annoys me. Not saying it necessarily would have fixed all of the issues, um, but it just annoys me. And Martial, you hit the nail on the head with El Arabi. I wanted him off my football pitch and I know we don't really have a replacement. I'm, I'm very aware of that fact. But, like, you're going to tell me Sudani can't do any better than what El Arabi did? What was it, like, one for 12, two for 12 offensive duels? It can't get much worse than that, folks. He and wasn't winning off, anything. Offside, also. On many offsides. Exactly. Four. <laughs> or, sorry, no, three. What? Three offsides. Yeah, that's, like, it can't get worse than that. I'm sorry. Like... You throw Lambro up there, he's not going to go offside. He might, he might, you know, get in the defenders' heads, you know, say some words. You never know. He's not going to lose every tackle, offensive you know? duel. It just can't get much worse than that for El Arabi. So 
I wanted him off my pitch. I mean, I get it. We don't have a replacement. Martins isn't going to put Sudani on by himself. Sudani isn't best there by himself, but it's a C for me. My man of the match. Hmm. So it's, it's a hard match to award a man of the match. I will say Mario Vrusai. Just thought he had a really good performance throughout. He had the assist. Madi is obviously up there as well with the goal. And for me, Ruben Semedo, I think, also had a pretty decent game. Uh, but for me, it's Vrusai. What about you, Adi? I'm definitely going to give Martins uh, a C plus. One, I didn't like the lineup. We were lucky that Cuisance had a bad game because had he had a better game, I'm telling you, he would have, oh, oh my God, he would have tore holes through that the defense in the midfield. Um, but they held fast. The press wasn't in. We didn't press well. He waited too long to make subs. I mean, it's so weird. It, he's reverting back to his first-year self with us, you know, wait, and even last year, waiting too long to make subs. You know, our midfield is, is dog-tired. They're not doing anything, and you don't do anything to try and introduce something. You know, I know that the bench is very thin, but you have to do something. El Arabi needed to come off immediately. He he was just poor. So I'm going to give him a C plus. Again, I just disagreed with the game management. I disagreed with with the formation, the the lineup itself. We know that we knew that width was going to be our uh, advantage against Marseille. The wingbacks are poor. Defensively, they are poor. Sakai and Amavi are vulnerable. We saw that. We discussed the tape. We discussed all the opportunities that happened against Marseille in Champions League and in France, where they were most vulnerable, on the wings. And we didn't address that. We didn't put all the pieces on the field, at least to, to attack both sides. You saw that in the metrics. So C-plus to Martins for that. And then, you know, Rusai, I'm very tempted to give Rusai man of the match, um, mainly because his key pass and his assist, the assist obviously led to the goal from Mahdi, um, but his key pass and his attempted or and his other passes kind of led to some very dangerous situations, did very well dribbling, first, first full 90 minutes in Champions League, and he didn't look scared at all, tracked back. Uh, I'm very tempted to give it to him. Uh, I think I will with a runner-up being Mahdi, even though I think Mahdi's execution was maybe not there. He had the ideas. He was running his butt off. It just didn't really come out for him. Yeah, I'm just going to go straight. Vrusai, man of a match for me. Great performance. Um, and you know what? I'm, I'm going to give Martins an F. I think it was a calamity, to be honest with you. It was, how do you sub two players on when you have five subs? You're willing to bring Kafu on for Guillerme against Wolves, but you don't want to bring off any of these guys. Like, well, what is Pepe doing on the bench? Andruzos, Drager even. Like, just get fresh legs. Like, what are we doing here? Sudani came on in, what, the 88th minute? For me, it was just poor. It just, how, how do you wait? In the, I, I, excuse me, Sudani came on in the 92nd minute. I'm just looking now. That's a joke. Your second sub in the 92nd minute, that's yep. that's a joke. You have five subs. Yeah. Kafu gets on in the 60th minute against Wolves, but for me it's just it, it's shocking. Bring bring Buhalakis off, put on Pepe, Andruchos has young legs, throw him on. You know what I mean? Just do something. You have five subs. You you use your second sub in the 92nd minute. It's not good enough for me. Yeah, I I think it was a it was a it was a poor performance from the coach. I I really believe in using these subs with, when you have it, freshen up the team, you know. You make a very good point that we didn't uh, catch up on that. Martial, uh, thank you so much for coming on. 
you deserve oh, a, a good a night's sleep. Yes. <laughs> um, so uh, we really appreciate you for coming on and um, we will obviously be in contact with you on social media as we always are. So yeah, um, yeah once again, thanks. Also, one oh, last welcome. note. One last time, keep up the great memes and jokes on social media. They're so funny. The videos, oh my God, they're so great. I love what C say. I loved it. I loved it. I I have a a lot of, um, you know, on my phone, uh, I use Telegram. And you you can uh, forward message to yourself. And when I see a funny video on Twitter, I just... Uh, copy the the link and paste it on Telegram, <laughs> and when I did it, then uh, I use it later. There, there you go. I gotta start getting in the habit of doing that to send memes to people. But <laughs> yes, very good point. Thank you very much uh, See you for soon. that, Marcial, and for the good comment. And uh, enjoy the rest of your night. Bye bye. All right. Well, we do still have a couple games to get into. We have. Ike versus Braga, and we have Pauk versus Ammonia. Pauk, this is a big game for them. They are looking at potentially going through in their Europa League group. We are rooting for them to do so. Ammonia, I mean, they're a team that's worse than Pauk, and we've known this, but they've also been in pretty poor form as well. They've dropped down to seventh in the Cypriot League. They haven't won a game since... October 18th, which was before they played Pauk last time. They have dropped some games in the Cypriot First Division as well and obviously have not won anything in Europa League. Pauk, we know that they've got a new manager, so we could see potentially a big result for them. They are one point behind PSV for that second spot in the group. PSV played Granada, who are top, and might actually lose. So we could see Pauk in that second position with one game to play, obviously a game against Granada, but with one game to play, Adi, what are your thoughts for this Pauk game coming up? It's Pauk. I don't trust them. I mean, they were supposed to crush Ammonia, and look what happened in that game. I don't, I, I don't trust them. Every time I think, you know, just like with Ike, every time I think a Greek team has a, a winnable game or a game that they should win, I just, I just get blown away with disappointment. And here we go again. You know, Bach's going to be going against Ammonia. Bach should be on the front foot. Ammonia's going to defend. And even as crap as Ammonia are, I do not trust Bach to get this done. The game against PSV was an utter choke job. I, I knew I shouldn't have allowed the, myself to get excited at 2 nothing because it is just like Bach to choke like this. No European identity. This is what happens. They get my hopes up, and then they piss me off. This, this is Bauk, ladies and gentlemen. And I think we're going to see a similar disappointment. They're probably going to draw Ammonia again. Bauk isn't amazing in right now in Champions League or Europa League with positional attacks. They're not doing fantastic. So I don't expect much of them. They're better on the counter. But are they going to get many counter opportunities against Ammonia? I mean, they got two last time. Ammonia is going to sit deep and park the bus and eke a result out. I have a, I have a nasty feeling we're in for a 1-1 here. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. Honestly, I'm, I, I don't know if there's a voice recorder. Was that me just speaking? I'm, I, I feel like I was listening to myself. Like my <laughs> words have been taken out of my mouth. It's a small club mentality. That's what Pauk is. It's always been that way. They'll probably choke. 
that's what they usually do. They they they're good at beating a PSV team with like ten players out with coronavirus, but when it comes to actually playing European matches, they don't do the job. So, yeah, a a terrible ammonia team in Cyprus. Expectations to win sounds about right. Pauk will draw or lose. So let's just go with that, guys. I, I'm gonna just. I'm going to say the line <laughs> because I just like, I'm looking at this ammonia team. Surely Pauk can't bottle this one. You just jinx them. You just jinx them, Peter. <laughs> Pauk's you just get your screen them. recordings out. It's literally eyeglass. How do you lose the re-nail to like a mid-table? What, is it Polish? Ukrainian, Ukrainian team. Jeez. I think Pauk will win 1-0. I'm going to just, I'm going to predict a 1-0. I hate them so much. Please, Pauk. Like, this Ammonia team, they are in such poor form, like, dropping into the relegation group of the Cypriot Mavrias. League. Like, Ready stop. back from internationals. <laughs> stop. Young King on the wing, running oh, at Pauk. Musawage tracking back. <laughs> Musawage shattered by him. <laughs> oh, no. I, oh, yeah. My goodness. I mean, listen for for Chuck, for for my for my favorite Balk fan Chuck right now on Twitter. I hope that they win. You know, he'll be devastated if they lose. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I do, I don't want to see the disappointment. We need the coefficient points, guys. No coefficient points for Greece last week because of the travesty of of those games. Olympiakos just at the bed against Marseille, helping nothing. So you know, Balk and Ike, we need something. Uh, you know, please, Balk, just, just, just don't mess up. Just, just win, please. And Ike, it's looking even worse. Braga are securely, in fact, they, they've probably clinched uh, advancement out of their group already. So the only hope for Ike is that they're resting players. But this Braga team, they're just about up there with Leicester. They drew 3-3 with Leicester the last time out. Their only loss since they played Ike, including in the league, was to Leicester the first time, in which case they came back and notched a 3-3 draw, which, by the way, Leicester evened up very late in stoppage time. Braga have beat Benfica in the league since they last played Ike, so that's a nice result for them, a 3-2 victory. They've been scoring a lot of goals, both in the league and in Europe. So I kind of expect an Ike loss here. Maybe not as bad as 3-0 like we saw last time, but maybe a 2-0 loss. Ike have been in pretty poor form as we saw against the Ukrainians last week. So for me, this one looks a lot less promising than the Pout game, although the pressure is maybe less on Ike to win and certainly less on Braga having locked up the group already. I don't really know. If, I mean, I don't think there's any hope for them to get out of this group because after Braga plays Ike, they play... Zoria Luhansk. So, I mean, realistically, I let's say if Ike did beat them, right, then they would need Braga to lose the next game against Zoria Luhansk, and Ike would have to beat Leicester. It's just not something, yeah. Right, it's just not happening. Now, I don't think Braga is going to rest anybody. I think they're going to take this game seriously just to like seal the deal. And Braga, I, I said this the first time they played Ike. It's just too much quality. They're they're effective. I pointed it out. They're they're firm, they're good in possession. They have a solid midfield. It was why I didn't think Ike would beat them the first time. I think in the first game I said it was going to be two nothing, and they ended up beating Ike three nothing. And I'm going to say the same thing again. It's two nothing Braga. 
you know, I know Ike is home for whatever that's worth these days in, in Corona football. Um, I, I just, I don't have, I don't have much hope for this game. You know, Madalos is back. You know, he served his suspension, I think, against uh, Zoria Luhansk. So I hopefully that means there's some creativity, but I don't think there's a hope. I, I wonder, will Ike even play a full 11? Like, what is the point for them if they're being selfish and don't care about coefficient points? Like, they might as well just ride kids out, right? I don't, I don't know. I think it's going to be a bad ending, two or three nail Braga. Get yeah, got some fitness. Yeah, give them give them a run. I mean, I think they have Bonathinaikos coming up this weekend too. So, listen, I mean, I, I doubt Carrera cares about the Greek coefficient. He's not going to be fighting for for those points. And I would neither. If I were Carrera, I would rest my guys and save them for an upcoming derby. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't waste them. In yeah, a, if, if he loses against Panathinaikos, I bet you some people will be calling for his head. That's really what matters at this point, right? Yep. For a manager, it's survival instinct. And they've got us in two weeks, or two weeks from us as we record this. So a couple big games coming up. I probably expect maybe a little bit of rotation both against Braga and then again against Leicester for Ike with the Panathinaikos game this weekend. So pretty pessimistic predictions for these two teams. Obviously, we're not going to go super deep into their opponents since they've already played them. If you'd like to listen to that analysis on Braga and Ammonia, we have that in previous episodes. But... Either way, Pauk, come on. Surely there's no way that they can bottle this one. And Ike, I mean, it would be a miracle to get some points out of it. We'll be rooting for both sides. That is about all that we have for today in terms of coverage. We thank you very much for listening, especially if you've made it this far. This weekend, we will have Porto pre-match to remind people a result of any kind for Olympiacos, as long as it's better than Marseille or equal to what Marseille get, will get us into Europa League football. Otherwise, if somehow we draw and Marseille win or we lose and Marseille draw, then we are looking at no football in Europe. So this is theoretically a big game. At the end of the day, it might be out of our hands, but we certainly want to go and see if we can get a draw, at least for the coefficient and or our dignity. With that being said... We hope you have a nice rest of your week. Enjoy the Europa League games. Go Ike, go Pauk. We will see you very soon.